And the fund has five area, we call them area departments, so they mirror the five continents. Um, so we went to every continent and we told them, if you are doing this in, in the Americas, this is what your life looks like. And you look for this knowledge and you look for these experts and you're still humans. So you also look for your leave. Then we went to the next department, Africa. The story was similar. The story was repeating itself. And the thing about tenure at the IMF, it's like academia. You come in and your average employment is anywhere between 11 and 17 years. So we are here, we're lifers. We are here for a really long time. So today's episode is a, an interesting one. Um, it's called How to Write a Digital Workplace Strategy, and it's inspired by the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, who um, do some really important and significant work in the world for the 189 member countries who fund the IMF. And it really is a, a story that was sparked by some collaboration that happened at the Digital Workplace Experience Conference in Chicago ooh, in 2018, June 2018. And I saw um, a huddle of people from the IMF sketching notes on a piece of paper. And I thought that looked really interesting. And it turned out they were actually developing their digital workplace strategy. And that visualization, that depiction of what they did, led by Nizreen Farhan, who's an advisor on digital transformation for the International Monetary Fund and long-term economist there, and her colleague Ahmed Amar, who's an information technology lead for the IMF. And the work that they were doing along with the team really informed their whole journey. So I think it's a really interesting episode and a conversation and hopefully answers that question that I often get asked, which is we want to kind of embark on a digital workplace strategy. We know we're not where we want to be. Where do we start? So here's the answer to the question, where do we start? Just one thing to mention before we get into the meat of the episode, um, and that is each year we have something called the Digital Workplace of the Year Awards. And they've been running for three years now. And the 2020 entries will open up in January 2020. If you go to the digitalworkplacegroup.com website, we have two categories. One is the Digital Workplace of the year, which is for an organization. And we have various different categories and, and, and areas that you can win in that. And also we have another uh, award, which is for the Digital Workplace Leader of the Year. And that celebrates and acknowledges people who've really made an impact. The leader from 2019 was Mark Bramoulet, who's a digital workplace lead for Ubisoft, the games company, and the overall Digital Workplace of the Year Award for the organization was won by American Express. And we've done quite a bit of blogging and various podcast episodes all around those two. So if you think you should enter or could enter, it's a pretty simple process. Uh, it doesn't take very long. Um, and you get some really good feedback just by entering. So do think of that. Entries open in January 2020. Thank you. Right, I'm delighted to be uh, in the studio today with two wonderful guests from the International Monetary Fund at the IMF. 
And our topic for today is is probably a bit of a different topic. It's it's how to write a digital workplace strategy. And it's really inspired by the story that I learned about from uh, the IMF. And one of the questions that I and colleagues in DWG often get asked is, is sort of where do we start? And, and I think it's probably fair to say that the IMF was not uh, unique in having that question when it embarked on its own digital workplace journey. And so really this is trying to bring that journey to you and show how very strategically this was approached. And my two guests are Nizreen Farhan. Uh, Nizreen is an advisor for digital transfer, uh, responsible for digital transformation for the IMF. Uh, she was chief of internal communications. She's also been the deputy chief of public affairs and is an economist by background. Um, previously, she was an economist with the Central Bank of Jordan. And it's great to have you on the podcast today, Nizreen. Thank you, Paul. Great to be here as well. Great. And my other guest is Ahmed Amar. Uh, Ahmed is an information technology officer with the IMF. Um, he's had a number of roles within the IMF or on, on the technology side and also previously had roles uh, in this area with the Central Bank of Egypt. So it's great to have you also joining us, Ahmed. Thank you, Paul. Great. So... I'm very familiar with the IMF, uh, International Monetary Fund, but I think it's probably fair to say not everybody is. So could you, Nizreen, for people not familiar with the IMF, just explain in your own words what um, the IMF does and, and your own role uh, within, the, within the fund? Of course. Thank you, Paul. Um, so the International Monetary Fund, or the IMF, is basically an institution that has a lot of economists working in it, and we see ourselves as, um, God forbid, international doctors. Um, what we do for a living is we study um, 189 countries in the world out of 194 in total. Um, we study their state of uh, the economy from trade to banking, to business, uh, to budgets, national budgets, to the way that um, governments um, spend their money, tax their people, um, to currencies, and um, what the, uh, and then we put it all together from an international perspective. What would it look like for the globe to cooperate? What would it look like for the globe to, to work on uh, trade? And as we know now, for example, there's a lot of trade dis disputes. Um, there's a lot of issues that are um, politically driven economic uh, problems. We look at all of this. We are um, seen as trusted advisors for um, the 189 member countries, so we're driven by our members, because everything that we do is, um, um, as we would say in the digital workplace perspective, persona uh, driven. It is um, very much personalized for the country that we work with, country at a time. And then when we put it together, it is our role to then see what the global good looks like. So in a nutshell, the IMF is a global organization that works on economic and monetary cooperation, hopefully to make people's lives better for people and for that growth to be distributed better among all the people. 
Great. Does that make any could, sense? Yeah, absolutely. Could you just give me an example of a, if you like, a typical or a, uh, a, a project that the IMF has been involved in that, that people might be able to just relate to? Wonderful. I'm actually going to give you three examples, very quick three examples, because one example would not do us justice. The one example that everyone associates the IMF with is Greece. Um, in the 2008 financial crisis, there were three countries that were massively affected directly by the crisis, Iceland, Greece, um, uh, to some extent Portugal. Um, so the first thing that happened from a European perspective is Europeans got together and then they, they um, came to the IMF. Individually as a country, Greece came to the IMF, but also the European Union needed that global perspective. And we put together an economic reform program for Greece. It's a very controversial reform program, and it had its successes and its failures. So that's one area where we jumped in into the crisis to help fix a lot of broken things in the economy that was complicated as part of a European Union. An easier example is um, five years ago, almost two years after the crisis, flipped from an advanced economy to the developing world, the poor world. So the, the, um, there were three countries in Africa that were devastated by Ebola. I'm, I'm sure this was in the news and everybody knows about it. So those three countries approached the World Bank and the IMF. The World Bank is our sister institution. Um, and they were in desperate need of cash because in order to deal with a health crisis, governments who are poor, unlike governments that have a lot of money to move either themselves or, for example, from the European Union, the three countries, Sierra Leone, um, Guinea and um, I believe Liberia, really needed international help to sort their budgets out to make space that they don't have to start spending on better health and better infrastructure to get rid of the Ebola crisis. Unfortunately, the crisis is still with us, but I think it had abated quite a lot from the four years ago. So the IMF very quickly put together a financial package. It's basically currency. We give countries the money that they need to um, immediately use to start spending um, on extra spending that they were thinking of. The difference between Greece and the three countries in Africa is that Greece has to repay its money to the fund with an interest rate at a much faster repayment period. But for low-income countries, we don't charge them interest on our loans, and the payment fee period is anywhere between um, 10 and 20 years. So we provide different help and different economic um, packages to different countries. Does that make sense now? Absolutely. That's and that's that's fantastic. And I think, you know, it, it really brings to life the 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 power, the importance, uh, the significance of of the IMF in the world. So, what's your role, Nizreen? And and then Ahmed, I'd, I'd love you to tell me what your role is. Um, so, like you said earlier when you introduced me, um, Paul, and thank you for that introduction, I started at the IMF a very long time ago um, as an economist. Um, so, I was our structure is two-third economist and a third um, support lawyers, um, etc. Um, and I started as an economist, so I um, had been in the business, going to countries, studying their um, economies. Um, I worked in Middle Eastern countries, African countries, and then I moved to the general policy area, so I was doing global policies for the fund. Um, from there, I got a lot of interest in communication, so I moved to the communication department so that we can better explain the role of the IMF 
to people. And that was at a time where there was a huge movement against multilateral organizations, against experts. So we were struggling at the fund to keep our existence um, understood. Um, and from there, I then um, there there was a um, an, a coming on need for the front to start working more efficiently in the 21st century because the world became so hyper. Um, so I was asked to move from communication to lead um, digital transformation at the IMF. So my role at the moment is um, I'm I'm the advisor on the digital workplace uh, for the IMF. Um, our project, which we'll talk about um, through this podcast, is basically aimed at um, changing the way we do business internally so we can give better products to our members and the general public externally. And I am the program manager for for um, this project. My department is the sponsor. My department is the strategy and policy department at the fund which um, basically works on all the policies and all the approaches to specific countries at the fund. Fantastic. And, and Ahmed, what's, what's your role? Uh, thank you, Paul, for the introduction. Um, I used to manage um, uh, technology platforms, infrastructure solutions, and portal. When I joined the fund, I managed different technology uh, projects like infrastructure upgrade, uh, office productivity tools, and and portal upgrades, and as well as the last project before the digital workplace was the refresh of the PC and the Windows 10 upgrade. Um, I was assigned for the digital workplace IT project manager, and for me that was a kind of different assignment than all the others because this project is a business-led project, it's not an IT-led project, and the project management uh, approach, the traditional one, doesn't fit like 100% when you start this kind of project because you first have to focus on the understanding of the business vision to solve for. And that's why I think we spend quite time at the beginning uh, working, of course, with Nisreen, and we have a fantastic team. And one of that is, if you remember, during the Digital Workplace, uh, the Digital Workgroup conference in Chicago uh, last year, actually, Nancy noticed that we take all the opportunity to sit aside and brainstorm and discuss the vision. So that actually was our approach at the beginning. And for me, it was different to start a project, to spend a uh, majority of the time at the beginning really to understand and to work with the business. Sure. Uh, and uh, so I, hmm. Yeah, no, sorry, I didn't want to cut, you, cut across you there, Ahmed. We're, we're going to get into the, the story of, of what happened in a minute, and I think you've teed us up beautifully for that. But can I, can I just find out, um, um, what, Nisreen, what was the problem that, the IMF was experiencing and maybe still is experiencing that meant you needed to embark on a digital workplace journey because you didn't just do it because somebody thought it might be a nice idea presumably it was in response to things that were challenges and needs and problems Sure Paul, thanks um, There are a couple of things were um, playing out um, separately um, that quickly led us to the need for the digital workplace. But exactly like you said, we hadn't started with, oh, okay, we need a digital workplace. So um, 
transformation that started um, was our HR processes. Um, we have 30-year-old technology, not just in HR. When the HR process started to look deeper into their processes, we, we, they noticed that it's not just HR processes that were supported by 30-year-old technology. It was actually prevalent across the IMF. Many of our technologies were old. Not just old, we were starting to discover slowly over the past two years that it was all getting the lead of support to 2010 technology and to 1990 technology. So the first problem that was rising as we were moving towards a digital workplace was that our technology is really old. The IMF would like to believe that we are a very unique institution and what we do is very unique. We'll see later that we're actually less and less unique as we had discovered. So because we were unique, we would take on technology 30 years ago and then customize the life out of it. And then therefore, over the past 30 years, we never move with the technology. We stay in that customizable approach. So that was the first thing that triggered the need for us to study all the technology that, that we've, uh, we have. Then also, uh, it really started with HR. Um, as HR was looking, the HR project was looking into how efficient are we, can we make HR processes more efficient. When they were doing their project, when they were studying the stakeholders, as we say now, the user is the user the, is the user. You go to an economist and you ask them about HR issues and the economist is going to start telling you about their everyday problems, not just the HR. So we started um, hearing a lot from staff that they're very unproductive. They spend a lot of time doing manual things, again, because of our technology. It was all manual. So um, um, we like to, I'd like to say that the IMF is a knowledge-producing institute, only we don't know how to work with knowledge internally. So um, the first iteration of the Digital Workplace Project was an upgrade of the Internet. And when we started that project, we disco discovered that if you go and do a fancy Internet, state-of-the-art, 2020 technology, people will still not know how to access this knowledge and share it and work with it because the way that we work, and here's the clue, we discovered over the past year before we started that people are very siloed in the way that we are in the institution. We work in our desk eight, eight hours a day, five days a week, and then until we go, we call on mission to the country. So we weren't sharing knowledge. And what, how did we discover this? You write a, the world has changed outside. You write a note on Ebola in one country, and you discover that the problem isn't in this country. It's coming from another country next door. Okay, do we know about this country? Uh, can we find who the, this person is? So then you scramble around to try and find the person who works on the country next door, and they're either on leave or on mission. Their belongings, knowledge belongings, on their C drive. So these are the sorts of problems that we um, embarked upon, thinking that we're solving for it through a fancy intranet, only it was very quickly apparent to us that it really is about collaborating around knowledge. And if you want to collaborate around knowledge, you need a digital approach to the way that we're working, not a manual approach. And it, yeah, and it, it's kind of crazy when you sort of think about it isn't it because you, you've got 189 countries so you're you know a truly global organization i think there's only um two or three thousand people work for the imf um what's what's the number three thousand 
3,000. So it's, so it's a relatively small workforce, highly educated. Uh, as you said, an awful lot of the organization are economists. Um, and, and you would, looking at the problem at a distance, you think, well, the key thing that this organization has to do is, is collaborate, share knowledge, move information around the organization easily. But of course, like all organizations, you've got your history and your legacy and you come out of a world where that wasn't wasn't the norm. Um, what what kind of surprised me when you and I first met um, um, was that the organisation had brought somebody in who came uh, as an economist into this field. Because typically, what happens is you have people coming from communications, technology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But actually. Um, was it your idea to get somebody from what I'll call the business to lead this, or was that somebody else's idea inside the IMF? And and how did that process happen? Because it's really enabled you, I'm, uh, as I've seen, to to bring that economist business focus to things. Indeed, Paul, it was very interesting because even though I'm an economist and I've been to many countries and I've worked in the heart of the business. When the thought thought came to do a digital workplace, I was chief of internal communication. At the IMF, like many other organizations, COM sort of owns the internet, right? They're the ones who who own the digital technology behind it and the content that goes on it. So as it was an internet project, um, my team and myself owned that, and we had a a project that would have um, upgraded it. As we worked on that project, I slowly discovered that this really should not be led from the communications department. So I went back to my um, supervisors and I told my manager that it's a mistake for the institution if we lead it. We really need to know what do economists need, what type of knowledge, what are the problems that economists have every day, and their managers, because they're the ones responsible for looking at the big picture, comparing a country with that country, thinking of precedences, like you said, it's it's our history. So we took the proposal from management, so the IMF um, CAO, our uh, officer who works with then Madame Lagarde when um, she was our managing director, and we told her that this really should be in the strategy department. Um, So lo and behold, in December of uh, 2017, they moved my project to the strategy department and asked them to um, see what are the needs of the institution in terms of the knowledge conveyor belt, in in terms of producing a report, comparing other countries, bringing all that knowledge together and allowing staff to collaborate. Um, Within two months, it turned right back to me and then I was asked well you know since you've been working on it for six months since you really know the institution since you really have been communicating how about you lead that project so I was then asked to move from the communications department to the strategy department to lead it because of the investment really that myself and the very small team I had that we did in terms of moving the institution Um, and I think without passing on my back at all I mean one thing that and we'll, we'll go into the lessons that we've learned. One thing that was really important was management had decided to put itself in the middle and say, hey, strategy department, pay attention to it and put a person that knows the fund. So it only makes sense. I've been in the fund 18 years. It only makes sense to pick somebody who's been in almost every department in the fund over the past 18 years. There are many examples of me. 
it could have been anybody else. It's just that it, the project started with a seed, which is the intranet, and turned into the digital workplace. So I don't know sure. if you'd call myself lucky or unlucky, but here I am. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I suppose it depends on which day the question gets gets asked. But I, I think it, I, I think it's 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 a it's a very unique um, uh, story. And um, so, tell me, where did you start, and why did you start where you started? Because we'll get into um, uh, what Ahmed has already kind of referred to, which is some of these great little sketches that we'll share in the sh in the show notes of of how you if you like, drew um, your strategy. But tell me, tell me where, what was your starting point and why did you start there? Um, thank you, Paul. Um, the humble beginning was first to um, recognize that I knew nothing about digital workplaces. I, I um, had an intuition. We had an intuition in, in the small team that we had that we need to look at business processes, that we need to put it all together and give the fund a digital transformation um, in that sense that worked for each user. Um, that was an intuition that we had. Um, and as an economist um, um, in training, I'm an, I'm an economist and statistician, so I have no background in IT, but I have a lot of background in what we do at the fund. So the first thing I did was I, um, I literally look into what are digital workplaces. In, it was February 2018. So I started researching um, on the web just to get myself up to speed to take the responsibility of digital transformation at the fund. So I had to learn a new business, basically. Um, and then um, I had one person on the team. I asked him. That was Amin. I think we had, uh, um, we had met him and we spoke um, in a different perspective. Amin was on my then, and I asked the same of him. So we both just took on the next three months to read about the digital workplace, and what what is it out there? What what do companies do? What does it mean for them? And how does it translate into us? Um, without doing a pitch, too much of a pitch to um, your work, Paul. Your name was everywhere on the internet, and that resource was so rich and so so important for me. I read your book before we started, and um, I uh, looked at your website, and then I started comparing notes. So I didn't even blindly follow. DWG, I started looking at other resources um, and came up with an understanding of what a digital workplace is and where people are. One thing that the IMF does really well is look for peer comparisons. If we're doing it, what's others, what are the others doing? So I knew that anything I put on paper, the first question I'm going to be asked is, what are sister institutions doing, like the World Bank, like the um, um, uh, Interdevelopment Bank for the Americas? What are they doing, the OECD? I will be asked that question. And I will be asked what are the financial sector, similar um, companies are doing. So first, we did the research, get, get ourselves up to speed. The second thing we did to get ourselves there is to form a team. Now again, from the perspective of the business, we're, we were so used, Ahmed had alluded to that, we were so used of all technology decisions to be made by IT, dished out to staff, and we just do what we have to do. The business had no strong, I mean, they had an input, but we had no say in IT decisions. And then suddenly, now the business is in charge of a transformational project that has a lot of IT in it. So the second piece that we did was I learned 
about IT. So I looked up our IT department, studied every division, studied what they do. I understood to some extent. In the, in the year to come, I studied more of the vendor relationship with with IT departments. But I, we studied the IT department. I sat with colleagues, understood every division and what they do and how they relate to their business in that sense. Um, and then we started looking for a team. Um, when you have a project that's two, three years old, that the, the three years, the lifespan of it will be three years, you have to have a dream team on. And, and you weren't going to get it right from the beginning, but I was hoping to get a dream team. Um, so using my network over the past 18 years at the fund, I started asking about who's who, who do I need, um, how can I get them, um, and I ended up talking to a million persons and people around the fund and I ended up with a, 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 a here's here's also what's a little bit different for us I decided that in order for the business to do a business transformation project the business knows its business you ask any economist at the fund or research analyst at the fund what do you do they'll tell you what they do and they'll get on with it we needed IT to understand what we do so I asked management if I can form a team that was 80% IT and leave the business oh. to us. Don't worry about the business piece. Okay. I know it. We ha we know it. I want my team to be fully staffed by IT so that we can build it and they can run it after us. So that's what we did. Our team, when we first started in May, was myself and four, the strongest four people in IT that I could get my hands on. <laughs> yes, of of which Ahmed is, is definitely one of them. And, and Ahmed, could I just... Can I just ask you, were you surprised when this project started with strategy rather than what, you know, I often see, which is we need to shift over to technology platform X, Y or Z? Um, uh, were you surprised that it wasn't the technology coming first? It was the, if you like, the thinking coming first. Actually, I uh, I loved it <laughs> at the beginning because <laughs> normally, uh, as you mentioned, normally we rush into technology. We rush into. We are very excited about solutions and and give people toys and a lot of tools to do the job. But we sometimes figure out that oops, it's not the right tool that we we provided. So I I, I guess I was very excited when uh, Nisreen reached out to discuss about the the project and the, the vision. I was very excited about it, and uh, initially uh, I was also in the PMO, the Project Management Office. And it was uh, the PMO at that time uh, was like newly uh, formed to serve not just the digital workplace but also other. We have other initiatives, big initiatives in the fund. So the way the way the technology, like what mentioned, what, what Nisreen mentioned, the technology projects have been uh, designed and delivered is now changing because the the we are not, IT is not now do, dealing with business as clients actually they are partner and I was embedded in the team and I have been spending uh, enormous time with business to understand uh, everything and really when it comes then to the technology I am very uh, I'm sure that we will pick what will work, not just what we think it's going to work. So I think mm. it, it was very interesting at the beginning. 
And and Ahmed, you you referred to the uh, time in Chicago, um, the digital workplace experience. Could, so so just tell tell me the story of what happened there, because I know it involves drawings and late night sessions and 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 creativity. Yeah, so when we started the, the project, and as Nasreen mentioned, she formed a team. And we were trying really, and personally me, and also we started with like uh, three and then four people and then five people and go on. We tried to understand from Nasreen because she is the subject matter expert, like she mentioned. So we wanted to understand everything that, She's been thinking about the vision and, and the digital workplace, especially from the fun perspective. What are we trying to achieve? So even before we go to the Chicago, um, we adopted an approach to brainstorm in a session. We close the door, we look her in the room, and we <laughs> get the whiteboard and, and tell her, okay, Tell us what you what you've been thinking about. Let's let's draw something. Let's let's brainstorm about what are we what are we trying to achieve? What are the problems we have? So we really that very well at the beginning, even before we go to Chicago. Then we had the team together, and then we went to attend the conference. And uh, of course, there was a lot of sessions important, but we started to see some gaps, like uh, between the the sessions. And we said, okay, how about 30 minutes, 40 minutes? Let's start to discuss and continue the discussion on the vision. And actually, in one of the, the meeting, we uh, Nisreen um, started to draw. We used uh, OneNote, and she started to draw in her laptop some of her ideas and the vision and all of that. When we went back, that was our, I would say, that was our first product in this project. It was the business vision slides. Then then we started to use it across. And and, and I was amazed by, by the way that we came together to this conclusion, and we started to have uh, a product that we present. Mm. And and Nisreen, just talk me through what was in this this sketch and the picture that you that you were collectively drawing. Thank you, Paul. Um, so, like Ahmed explained, the actual conference was only a month um, and a couple of weeks after we put the team together. So, this was we all wanted to be on the same page of what a what is out there, what is the digital workplace, and what are other people's experiences. We learned from others. So we were all there, five of us in that team, four plus me, um, and um, we, as we go went into, in and out of the sessions, we sat down and we said, right, so we're hearing a lot about user-centric. At the IMF, we don't do user-centric. It really is top-down. So let's start thinking of user-centric. So we put the first drawing on, on one note. We literally drew a stick man in the middle. <laughs> and okay. then we said, right, so what does what does an economist need? So then my team, as, as Ahmed was saying, we brainstorm um, the best way we found for our team and, and the way that we're constructed mentally is asking questions make us think better. So Ahmed Namin, not having been part in, and Shelley actually was another lady with us in the team, not having been from the business but from IT, started asking me, so imagine yourself, you're in the middle. What do you 
look like? And as we were talking about what the day looked like, we started having connections to that person. So I'm the person in the middle. I'm an economist. I need information. Where do you find this information? I don't know. I go to Google now instead of going to our internet. So we put a big cross. Internet's not working. So we started putting a list at the bottom of that drawing of the pain points. The internet is not a good source of information. We have um, 7 million clicks a year, and it's not giving us any information. Big pain point. What else do you need? I need people. I don't know who the professional is or the expertise on financial sector. I'm in a country at the moment, say Argentina. The biggest problem Argentina is facing is bank runs. It's in the banking sector. I'm a macroeconomist. All I do is budget. I want to find that person. So they were asking me about my daily life in the country that I'm working with. And then they, they um, uh, it was one o'clock in the morning, um, Paul. We did that for an hour and a half. And then the next day, in, in between coffees, we were exhausted, but in between coffees, they would still sit us down. The team would still insist on carrying on and brainstorming because we would hear things from the session and would think, oh, my God, listen, there's this, that, 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 that's what other people are doing. Does it apply? Etc. So they they want we then I then put my other hat on when I was an economist in a different area or doing policy, all the products of the IMF. So we we then tied it and the last question we asked ourselves for that person in the middle, how do you interact with your other life? I want to apply for leave. I want to see what the funds policy is on pensions. When can I retire? So then we put on our global hat of the user is the user in the end and they have multiple hats during that day so we ended up with a really lovely circle connecting that person to their daily work so their what they do every day the knowledge that they need to do that work and all the other things that they need to make that happen including their everyday hr stuff so i think we truly like ahmed um came came up with we truly had a digital workplace for the fund as a whole. It wasn't a specific work stream or one side of the fund. It ended up for any user you pick. So, so the point is that I think that people ought to start with strategy and don't. And I just wonder what has been the power of the, if you like, the, the way you visualized and depicted your your strategy has has that had a has that did that just have a power at the beginning or has it helped inform the the year year or so that that's that's come since that was done it's a very interesting question uh, paul for two reasons the imf is a very hierarchical institution we're, we're semi-government it's a public institution so um we have uh, our structure is hierarchical and if upper management um, doesn't say yay, the rest of the institution won't tag along. So indeed, the next step, the next natural step was to go to management, to go to senior staff across the institution. Those 3,000 people pick all their bosses, and we wanted to convince them that there is really one digital workplace for the fund. Um, so my sponsor and I went on a tour de table. We basically met. We have 27, really 17 departments and 10 offices at the fund that run the 3,200 people. So we went to every senior staff meeting in those 27 departments and offices, and we told them our vision, and we put that circle up. And I think what really resonated, that was the power of that drawing, and, and we owe it all to Ahmed because he's not just a project manager, he's very visual. He's really, really creative in putting these uh, slides together. So we put that up, and what was really convincing about it, it touched on everybody. 
you know, you would go to the fund has five area. We call them area departments. So they mirror the five continents. Um, so we went to every continent and we told them, if you are doing this in, in the Americas, this is what your life looks like. And you look for this knowledge and you look for these experts and you're still humans. So you also look for your leave. Then we went to the next department, Africa. The story was similar. The story was repeating itself. And the thing about tenure at the IMF, it's like academia. You come in and your average employment is anywhere between 11 and 17 years. So we are here. We're lifers. We are here for a really long time. And many of us have the career that I've had. Many of us have been in the Americas department in Africa. They've been in, we have functional departments, fiscal, uh, banking, statistics. Many of us, in order for us to serve our countries better, it is a requirement in our HR to actually move every three to five to seven years. So bosses are um, asked to move every seven years so that they can have a better cross-country. Economists and professionals are asked to move every five and then admin every three. So if we move, when you go to one, one set of senior managers, half of that room would have been in five other departments. So I think the best thing that we've done was to look at a global fund. So when we looked, when we went to convince management in different departments, and we wanted to convince line managers first. So when we went to all the departmental line managers, and we told them that it resonated with them because they could see themselves in that picture. Oh, yes, that's the same when I was in Africa. Oh, and that was the same when I was in the statistics department, etc. So focusing on that stick man in the middle really resonated. That's that's great. So, um, I mean, would you say your process would work for any type of organization or is it is it just for certain types of organization? Um, I would claim ignorance that I don't know what other certain institutions are like, but... Put any institution that has knowledge in its center, I would say that it would work. Universities, um, um, publishing houses, where knowledge has to, to go from one person who's the subject matter expert to another who has to review it and clear it, another who has to add a, a paragraph on this or on that expertise. So any knowledge-based institution or knowledge-producing institution, as opposed to customer-facing institution, I would mm. say easy. Why not? It's the same process. Whether it applies to customer-based, I think a strategy is a strategy. You need to sure. know what you want and what mm. you want from it and why. Mm. Absolutely. So what what are the key lessons, do you feel, that, that others can, can follow and, and uh, take heed of when they're uh, going through this journey themselves? Thanks, Paul. I think um, there are some good lessons and some lessons that I wish we could turn back time a little bit on them. Um, you know, the usual lessons that you hear from um, everyone embarking on this journey, um, like you said, don't short yourself on strategy. It's really important to take your time and to understand what you want from it. And without foresight, the best thing you can do is think forward and keep calibrating because I'm not going to be able to know what the future holds, but we have to be open enough 
and I, I hate this word, we have to be open enough to be agile in our thinking. It's not agile deployment or agile implementation. It's a, when something changes, you have to, to change the way that you're looking at it too. So that's one lesson. It's not just about strategy. It's about having the guts and the support to calibrate your strategy as you go along. So it's almost as if you're constantly saying, I was wrong. We have to shift now. Oh, I was wrong again. We have to shift again. And it's not wrong or right, but it's um, seeing quickly that your strategy that you drew in May 2018 now looks very similar, but a little bit different as we discover more and more. So that's, that's the first. One lesson that is, in a way, I wish we had done differently in, in, uh, again is that, so in order to do that, and I want Ahmed to talk a little bit about this because he alluded to it. In order to do that, we had made a decision to not go for toys. No technology until the strategy is done. We are in the 17th century in the fund for technology. Like I said, we're 30-year-old technology, um, built on 30-year-old technology. It would have been very, very easy for us to move from word on-premise to word online and allow people to co-author. It's a quick win. Why not? Um, but without that strategy, we would have had silos of people working and co-authoring because they're the tech savvy and the rest of us still siloed in our, in our little cubbies. So another decision that we took was no technology until we know what we want from it. However, one lesson that I keep nagging myself on is we've been strategizing for 18 months. There is a line where you then say, come on, it's time to move. Yeah. So I don't know yeah. what the fine line yeah. is, Paul. If, what do you think? I mean, when do you actually well, trust that your strategy is strong enough? Is that... It's that whole thing, isn't it? It's the things that become strengths and eventually become your weaknesses. So, you know, it, it, it's it's like how do you? I I think there's a real benefit of of um, probably deploying technology a bit sooner than might at the first look seem like the right timing. And and the reason is that it is an iterative process. And as you deploy things, you can then pilot things, you can test things, you can iterate, you can get feedback. And also you can show actual progress, which I think is 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 important. But um, so so tell me, Ahmed, um, what do you feel has been achieved so far and, and what's still remaining on your uh, digital workplace journey and everybody's journey has its its ups and downs um, and and uniqueness uh, so as Nassim mentioned it's been like almost a year we have done a thorough uh, as analysis and inventory for our core work processes and uh, personas and that also included the technology inventory because it's it's we need to look at the big picture. It, this is not a one-to-one -one technology platform replacement or application and stuff. This is the big picture architecture that you need to look at across the, 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 the organization. So we did all of that. We have a, a huge understanding 
of the current state. And, and then we, we, this, the second step was to do a, a hypothesis for the to be, to discuss about the future, uh, identify opportunities, uh, identify efficiencies that we can build into the design. And we have been uh, working on the to be design. Uh, we have been working on persona design and also identify uh, improvements in the work processes that we captured because we went into level one to level two work processes, the steps that people are doing on a day-to-day uh, basis. So we have, we have been working on that, and I think that the next step is to come up with the final to be uh, proposal and then set priorities uh, for the implementation, and then we'll go into uh, the full implementation, uh, agile approach, because I think this kind of transformation cannot happen a big bang. So this is what we will be doing in the next few months to work in on this uh, kind of transformation plan. That's that sounds that sounds great, and um, um, in, in a way, we've just gone into a little bit of your own story, and and it's great to hear um, what's happened while you're in the midst of the journey. And as you say, you know, there's a, there's, there's the, there's the thinking, there's the planning, and then there's the, uh, the execution. And one idea, you know, that we, um, in DWG have been kind of, um, researching and starting to talk about, and it's probably one of the things that I'll include in the, the talk that I've, I'm delighted to be able to be doing, um, at, at the IMF, um, next month, actually, is, is around the idea of thinking about the workplace as a living system and this idea of, of thinking about the nature of work and work as an ecological system. And so if you start to think about, um, start to think about it as a living environment, um, there's a whole number of things all happening um, a kind of at the same time, but inform with a sort of collective intelligence. Any more to follow on that? Um, let me just end with a, a question I love to uh, end with. And, and first of all, to you, Nizreen. So uh, and I love asking the guests this. So, so what's a what's a perfect working day uh, look like for you? What what happens when you have a day that you think that's just as good as it gets? Now or in the future, Paul? Well, <laughs> now, I think. <laughs> Whichever way you'd like to answer it. I love the fact you've asked me a question about the question. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, I would let's, say... Let's, let's, go in, it, let's go in now. Yeah. Okay. So in the, in the now, uh, and, and now in a, in a way gives you a bit of a, of a sense of what you would want in the future because you identify the perfect and you strive for it. But now, um, I, I, ironically enough, the perfect day for me is when people collaborate, when we all get together um, from not just the digital workplace team, because we're building this for the fund, when we go to a department and we explain this, or we're, doing, we're in the middle of doing our persona interviews, when we put different personas in the room, the perfect day for me is when people get it and they're excited and they understand the vision without us even having to go through the details. If I have a day full of nine meetings in nine hours and I'm exhausted, but every one of those meetings resulted in people collaborating with each other, that's my perfect day. 
because that's what's missing in the IMF. People can't work with each other for many reasons, whether it's technology, um, bureaucracy, or the siloed mentality. So when I see people collaborating, I, I go home so energized. So that's, that's my that's perfect great. day. My perfect so, future day is when technology enables half of it. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think, I think that's, that's coming. I'm not sure what the time frame is, but I think the, I often feel we're moving from what I call fragmentation to integration. If I think about the journey that most organizations are on, it's essentially from fragmentation to integration. And, and of course, what's required keeps changing. So there's like, as things become more integrated, new fragmentation gets in, in, introduced as new capabilities and needs come and, and, and different types of people get involved. But so, so Ahmed, for you, what's, what's, a, what's a perfect working day for you? Yeah, it's, it, it, it happens always when, when, when we find something that really resonates with people. Um, and it, it happens when we present it and then you find people reacting to, to that finding. For example, when we did the findings from all the ASIS and, and, and the analysis of the uh, ASIS state, it was interesting to see that uh, we did a lot of workshops with business users from different roles, and we found that it is not about technology. It, the technology is not the problem that people are complaining about. It is actually 30%, so or 30-40%. So people didn't really start it by saying, oh, my machine, uh, my world is not working, or I cannot do this because of this tool. It's 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 a combination of things. So when we presented that, and that also was our initial thinking that it is not about the technology. So that was my, it was a, a very good day, that it is not a, it's not about technology. Technology can enable, but it will not fix every problem. That's really something uh, makes mm. me happy. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you both so much, and. Um... I, I'm I'm fascinated to see where this is is going, and and what comes next, and um, be delighted to keep the conversations going. But thank you so much for uh, Nizreen and Ahmed for for taking people through um, the actual journey that you've gone on, and and I think there's so much uh, rich information for people on how to write how to visualize a digital workplace strategy. And, and I think you've, you've inspired people to know how to do that. And I think we will um, be able to include that, some of that in the show notes, which is fantastic. And, and thank you both much, so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, thank you Paul. Paul. It was a pleasure being here. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore podcast. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.